And that's another thing that's been proven, and I will stand by it without a doubt, is it happened again last year. Um, those deer that summer there were right during the peak of the – not peak of the – but the beginning of the rut go from their fall range back to their summer range, mm-hmm. look at that first hot doe, and you can catch the deer that summered on you. Sometimes you can get lucky and catch him coming back to his – from his fall range to his summer range, and you can shoot him during – but he may only be there for a day – three days if he's got a doe and she's in she's hot and he's locked you know locked down this that and other mm-hmm. uh, that's what happened to him he came back saw it on the camera went in there first hunt and shot him appreciate everyone listening to this week's episode of Southeast Whitetail. I've been looking forward to this interview for a couple weeks now with Reese Johnson. The guy's just pretty legendary on social media. If you don't follow him, you should. Uh, I'll have all the social links uh, on the show notes on Instagram. He's Reese Johnson with the number seven. The guy started uh, maintains hashtag trail cam Tuesday. It's pretty remarkable what he captures uh, year in and year out with mature bucks, all kinds of cool trail cam footage. He had a barn buck uh, bedding in this barn house farm for a while. He had a turkey hen with some, with some, with some eggs. He was watching behind his house and he consistently gets and captures mature bucks in the wild on public and private land, which is a remarkable feat in the South consistently. He'll does his intels, does his scouting 20, you know, 365. Um, and then leading up the season, he'll have his target buck in mind. Kentucky, where he hunts, where he lives, is one buck state. He does hunt other states, but he goes into the season with his target buck and and he will hunt that buck down. And if he has to eat a tag, so be it. I mean, that's dedication. A lot of a lot of hunters can't say that they are willing to do, but the guy is a pretty legendary killer. Um, if you look at his feed, his content, the bucks is killed in the South. And in my opinion, if you can kill a mature buck in the South, you can kill one anywhere. So um, appreciate you listening. This is this this is a good p- podcast. We talk about a lot of things some different areas of the South that we haven't talked about before. I, I appreciate all the feedback I've received, whether it's people I know or people I don't know and, I, and they connect with me on social media. It's, it's, it's very, very rewarding 
getting that feedback and appreciate everyone that has left a review or rating on this podcast. It helps me get uh, guests, secure guests and maintain uh, and try to better the content. And if you know of anybody or you, you yourself would like to be on this podcast, reach out to me. I'm all about talking with various hunters throughout the South, conservation related to- topics, wild game, you name it, habitat. Let's talk about it. And um, lastly, if you would like to collaborate with me in any form or fashion with Southeast Whitetail, with some of the writing I do, or uh, with this podcast, let me know. I'm, I'm looking to, uh, you know, sync up and do some, do some projects with some people out there. So uh, again, thanks for listening. And let's get rolling here with Reese Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Southeast Whitetail. I'm excited to have a line, Reese Johnson. Um, I've been following following Reese for a couple of years, um, trying to keep up with him. He's a big, big buck killer, and I'm glad to have him on and talk a little bit about hunting and what he does in the Southeast. Reese, thanks, thanks for being on. Appreciate you having me. Um, it's always always fun to get to talk about deer. Can you so, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, and what you do? So I was born born in Arkansas. Um, grew up there i've lived in just about every corner of that state at one point or another between college and my dad's job which is what bounced us around but i was uh been my dad went to mississippi state um graduated from the got his master's down there in wildlife uh, biology so come from the the deer school so i come by it honest uh he's manager of a uh, u.s fish and wildlife service matter of fact he just won uh, national manager of the year this past week that came out so that was pretty proud for that um but yeah we've lived everywhere from savannah give or take i mean call it savannah yeah i was i was i was young then but mississippi arkansas a couple times missouri and then we landed in kentucky in 04 and have been here ever since and then you know this is my 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 pitch to a lot of my, my buyers too but you know did all that and i played college ball so i mean you know doing that i've been everywhere out west and, and between hunting you had that in everywhere from you know basically wyoming arizona all the way to the coast i've kind of covered all that and then i can legitimately say that by 29 i've seen a lot of the country and it's it's hard to beat western kentucky it just when we moved here and found it um there was no leaving yeah yeah western western kentucky is not a a nice area. I've been through there a couple of times, not to hunt, unfortunately, but I drove through there a couple of times going to Missouri to hunt. Um, although I didn't look at Kentucky cause I, cause that wasn't, that, that was another over, over the counter state. We are over the counter. And, um, yeah. yeah, I can make my arguments. I mean, I like big deer. So, you know, for what, it, the only reason we have, in my opinion, any good deer left or at all is because it's a one buck state and that's it. Now you can, get that tag over the counter you and you get one buck whether it's archery muzzleloader rifle mm-hmm. early late you know we go from september to january so you've got opportunity um that's the one thing but you get one buck and that's the only reason and our our rifle season falls right during the rut it's three weekends two weeks and so it's a little too long for my liking but it just is what it is that's rifle season is just three weeks three weekends and two weeks wow i wish it was shorter or we would move to slug and muzzleloader yeah. like Iowa and Kansas. And that's how we would, yeah. really, but they just, they just won't do it. I didn't know. 
that Kentucky was like that. I, I just assumed. Uh, how many does can y'all shoot? I mean, are, are do y'all, is that what's that? Unlimited. Is it a one buck state because they're trying they're they're trying to better the age class of bucks or just the population? It's been that way since I moved here from the original get go, and I think it's if you're gonna do rifle. It's about the best compromise you can have short of moving the gun season out of the rut. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd move it to Thanksgiving, week of Thanksgiving and into December, similar yeah. to Kansas. But, you know, it's a lot of good deer get shot that first. It's, it usually comes in the second weekend in November, and that gets them. Yeah. Yeah, that – I mean, that definitely – I mean, when you, you know – lengthen the rifle season i mean i can't imagine the percentage of deer extra deer that get killed um but maybe hopefully they know what they're doing with the population sounds like they do well we're not we're not short on deer i mean we have plenty of deer it's all about for me but i mean my goals are like i said are a little different i'm shooting i'm holding out for that you get one one deer you better make it count you know you're holding out for that five-year-old that special deer i've been watching on got history with and yeah you know, he's got 150 or better um you know kind of thing so that's for me but the average joe you know they their arguments different they want to go out two times a year with a rifle and enjoy their hunt and see a whole lot of deer so yeah i mean that that would that would change some plans up for me i i know for for instance i mean if, if we were in a one buck state yeah definitely uh, I can see that. Well, I saw, was it this past weekend? You were out doing some work, work week at your property? Yeah, we st man, it has been an insane year. I've never been so busy, and I think anybody with any work ethic would say the same. Uh, but I have put it off as late as I have probably ever put it off, and I'm more further behind on my chores at the farm than I've been in many a years. But – we started on my good buddy Alex is here in town and uh, we do a lot of hunting together. He's from Missouri and then we, we swap. And so um, he's in town and, and I've been just working in it, working it in my schedule. So this, the last two days I've had to show property in the afternoons and had appointments. Mm -hmm. And so we've been getting up at daylight going and working until 11. We're going to do, you know, then I go to work, do what I got to do. And then we'll wait. Of course it doesn't help. That it's hundred degrees outside. And then we'll, we're going to this afternoon about five, we're going to sneak back over to one of the other farms and do some more trimming and cutting and all that good fun stuff, put up another couple of cameras. And so he comes down a couple of times a summer. And then of course, during deer season and we get some things done and then back to work. Yeah. That's a good plan. I mean, now's the time to get there and, and do some stuff. I mean, I know it's that heat really set in for us uh, down here probably last week. A lot of ACs going out, a lot of AC calls in the real estate world. They're being maxed out right now. Yeah, it was over. It's it's over 100. I think it was like 105 or 108, you know, what it felt like at least this week at our farm. But, yeah, I mean, now it's time to get there and do stuff because if not, you're just going to cram it right in the start of your season. So why would you do that? You know, I know a lot of people they just wait to like, you know, three to four weeks out for the season opener for the first time they're ever going in the woods and it just, uh, I'm, it's not a good plan. I'm two, four, seven, three And so, however, this year it has been, I'm drained. I am, I hunted my tail off all the way to the bitter end and I have eaten my Kentucky tag, my statewide tag for the last 
two years chasing one deer. I did switch late in the year, uh, so technically two, but one deer for predominantly two seasons, who's whooped to my tail, and uh, he's still out there, and so is the other one that I switched to mid-December, and I gave him the last month, and they both, it was uh, disappointing. But uh, that took me into shed season, which I'm typically, I love, love, love shed hunting. And um, this, this past year is the least amount I've picked up just because I didn't get to go uh, as mm -hmm. much. I still was between 40 and 50 uh, before it was all said and done. But two years ago, I cracked 100, um, and I put on a lot Damn. of miles. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I, I went a couple times. That's just, um, I, I usually don't find that many at all i might find uh, i definitely won't find anywhere close to 100 it might be maybe 15 might be the one of the better years um i try to go a lot but i don't really i've been taking the kids past couple of years so you know it's I a lot more it's about any i mean just yeah. almost do that as about as anything i mean i've got a collection we'll say you know, at this point, um, but I very much enjoy it. And then of course, you know, you got turkey season to fill in the gaps and then trail cams. I started, I put them up. I don't like putting them up this early. I usually wait to about the 4th of July, but schedule wise, mm -hmm. I'm just afraid I'm not going to have time to get out there. And Alex was coming this week. So I just said, you know what, extra couple of weeks, we'll just get them out. They'll be there. They'll be working and we'll just, I'll get to them when I get to them. And yeah. so I just, you know, got them up to say they're up, they're done. I ain't going to worry about it. Yeah, I, I've got some new ones that I need to get out right now. Um, so when you put up, because I know you're a big trail camera guy, um, being the founder of Trail Cam Tuesday, right? That's my claim to claim, or claim to fame. Yeah. And, and, and that's West, one thing about you, one makes you a great follow is you have some, always have some great content uh, and trail camera footage, pictures, all kinds of big bucks. And a lot of them are public land, right? Unfortunately, I will admit to the fact that they are, but I mean, I run cameras in three, four states on public. And then of course I do have access to more private than the average Joe. Yeah. Um, it's been more, to be fair. I mean, all my extra dollars go to, you know, having good farms and that kind of thing. But yes, I mean, I run <clears throat> last year, you could say about 150 cameras is about what we had out. Damn. And um, I, do, I do have some help and some other contributors, but I pretty well kind of spearhead most of it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. And I've got a lot of pictures that I can post for a long time if I really <laughs> want to. And so until yeah. some of these deer die or some other things change, you know, I mean, they're pretty recognizable in a lot of ways. So I'll just, but I've got, uh, I've got enough content to post for quite some time. I could, but I, that, and I would just assume do that. I mean, that is, what gets me going mm -hmm. uh, thing. I mean, I enjoy, and I, I've done, you know, I've had wood duck, banded wood ducks on camera. You know, I just got done doing the, the, the nesting turkeys uh, sequence here mm -hmm. in the backyard, the barn buck. I mean, you name it. Um, uh, that's where, it, that's what gets me going is those uh, pictures and getting to share that. Um, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's neat. You never know what's on there. And I spend way too much money and time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm like you. I mean, I getting a buck or just eat just something cool on camera 
it, it, it didn't necessarily didn't necessarily have to be a buck. I mean, that's almost as, as enjoyable as seeing one. Maybe not filling a tag, but um, it's pretty it's pretty damn enjoyable. So right now, when you put out cameras, we're what mid right here, June fifteenth, mid mid June. What are some trail camera tactics right now as far as what you're doing this over the summer that you would do different that you would switch during the fall? And so, why are and why are you doing the, those said reasons this summer? Uh, so Kentucky, Kentucky's pretty easy, especially early right now. I've got established salt licks and then some I actually put yeah. out created three new ones yesterday on a new farm we picked up. Um, and trying to get those going. I'm not sure how they're well they're gonna take. Um, it was from my experience, if you can find clay, you'll have a very good mineral lick. Uh, this farm was on the river in the river bottoms and it had a lot of sand. And I'm not sure how, how it's going to go. But we started that, and that is just easy. I mean, it's just if you can get salt lick established, mineral lick, whatever you want to call it. Um, personally, uh, I get a lot of questions on what do I use. And if you can find the Redmonds, which is the same, just a lot of people don't know this, but Redmonds is trophy rock, same thing. And okay. basically, you can pay $20 for a $5 eight five pound or eight pound rock that's marketed to deer hunters or you can find the redmond's cattle livestock mixture it's the same thing and it's crushed which i actually like better than the rock because then it'll saturate the soil and you can churn it in and you can get that for eight dollars a bag i'm sure it's probably gone up by now but ten dollars a bag it comes from the same mine mm -hmm. but you can get 50 pounds of crush for eight or ten versus eight pound rock for 20 or whatever they're charging so uh, Redmond's, and then I like to dilute it a little bit if I'm spending the money with a Purina Antler Max, uh, not, mm -hmm. the, not, not the supplement, but the mineral. Uh, they have a lot, they have a really good mixture, but it's expensive. So I usually do on a 50 pound bag of that, do a two to one mix, uh, you know, ratio and put all that together. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, my concoction. Um, and then, you know, that's where I'm going to run them all the way from, june which is when we're at where we're at now to put till it's time to switch them over to scrapes i'll leave them there till they basically come out of velvet middle of september um i've got a lot of mock scrapes and a lot of traditional scrapes you know even today when we were out this morning we had one stand we needed to hang on that farm which we didn't finish from our work in march and you know we set the scrape up we picked the camera tree mm -hmm. we set the scrape up to be 30 40 yards we found the limb and then you know cut enough limbs and weight off of it to make it the right height. And then we cut every limb within a hundred yards on that field edge. Cause it's being filled this year where they didn't have a choice. I mean, if, if there's no other limbs, they have no choice, but they're going to scrape. So you, you give them same as we put that scrape, you know, 30 yards from, from the stand and then we'll have our camera there and we'll know what track to stand. But, you know, if you manipulate them in that way, they're going to do what, what's easy, you know, they're, yeah. they're efficient. So, you know, they're going to do what's easy. So we set it up that way. Um, and then basically when it comes time to come off the mineral, we'll take the camera that's closest to that, switch it right over to that scrape, move on. And so once you get these farms that you've had for four or five years, you kind of get a feel for what's happening mm -hmm. pretty well traditionally year after year. And you might miss something and then you could throw in some few extras, but the only reason I would throw in a few extras on any given farm is if there's a specific deer that I'm going to target. And with one, with one buck tag in my pocket, I'm going to be very specific about which deer I shoot. Yeah. I, I can imagine with having 
uh, the kind of bucks you get on camera and then having one, one tag. Yeah. That's, um, so going back to this, uh, saw leg, you're talking about, you're using a Redmond's cattle block. Yeah. Well, it's, then, actually, it's just a bag. It's crushed, but it's yeah, okay. 50 pound bag. So how do you, okay. So you mix that with, um, the antler max, mm-hmm. not the supplement, right? But when you mix it together, you're you've got a loose. I mean, it's loose. You just dump it out. Basically, you know, if I can find, I want to dig down to the clay. I want to get rid of the uh-huh. top. They don't seem, to, and this is just from experiment. They don't like that topsoil, that organic dirt, that real rich brown dirt. Uh-huh. Get rid of that. Take a sh- take a rake, rake it clean. Get a shovel, dig you a. You don't want an extremely deep hole, but just dig four six inches. Churn that dirt up. Pour the salt, pour the antler max, and then churn it up a little bit more, rake everything away. And then I carry a little two gallon pump sprayer, mm-hmm. round up around everything because I'm putting a camera on these. So I, 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 you pick the tree first, then you pick the spot for the salt lick, then you pick, then you, you know, do all the work in addition to, and they're there year after year after year. And that's all you, you know, that's, that's essentially what, you know, it makes it easy as well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're helping the deer. Now, I know the science on what you can contribute. You know, it, the antler max, you know, they're really high in phosphorus, calcium, and potassium, which is, you know, what they say builds better antlers and bigger antlers. You know, how much of that actually affects anything and contributes? Who really knows? But it makes right. you feel better. So you spend that. You get some salt. They're in it for the salt. They like the taste. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. But, you know, there are deer – and I very much enjoyed this part of it is the patterning, but there are deer that I will see every single summer on some salt lakes that I never see again. Cause when they shift from their summer range to their fall range, they get off the property. And I don't, and I'm, it's over. Cause I, yeah. you know, at yeah. least or what you own is only so big. Yeah. Shift, then they come back next year. Like, oh, that deer made it. You get a bunch of really good pictures of him and then they're gone. But I've had some deer five, six, um, there was one deer we shot on the farm this past year that is either, I think it was eight and a half. Mm-hmm. And I had five years worth of pictures of him from three and a half to eight and a half. I could prove it. Um, and he was, he was a ghost. He was very inconsistent. And I had some friends in from Pennsylvania, good friends mm-hmm. opening day. And he shot the deer. He called me. I heard the shot. I was at the back of the farm. He was at the front. He called me. I shot this deer and he's describing it to me. And I'm just sitting here like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And I, I, I can't, logic i can't determine what deer it is and he finds he sends me a picture and i instantly know but it was a deer that was so inconsistent i didn't even send him i didn't even show him pictures of it because i didn't think there was any chance any of us would ever see it um but that was a deer that I, you know velvet would always be the best time to get pictures of him yeah and it, yeah five years worth on the same salt lake yeah it i've gotten bucks there's certain bucks that i've gotten over the years you'll get them the, Throughout the summer, up until about, you know, we start peeling uh, in South Carolina about that fourth week in August. And they're usually done, except for maybe like some spikes or some like little, little tiny antlers. They're pretty much all peeled by that end of that first, second, in that first week in September. Um, but, you know, even going through September, you'll get, I'll get some bucks in certain areas and then they just, you know, and they just go shift around. I mean, that's, that's one of the, you know, kind of issues, but like, you know, you, you can put out cameras and you can do surveys, you know, uh, whether you use a salt lick or corn pile or minerals or whatever, but 
you don't know what these bucks are going to do come the rut. You know, they might, you look at all these, um, you know, GPS collar studies where, you know, you see where they are pre-rut and then during the rut. And then, you you know, they, they might bounce off the farm, but then you're going to have others that'll bounce on. So it's, um, that's, that's why I like, I, I, I know there's some, have you ever, uh, entertained the, it's the trail camera, like survey model, I think like Texas A&M or someone, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. I've never done it formally. Um, but that's where some of this, uh, big woods public stuff in mm -hmm. uh, Illinois, Kentucky, both have really, even Missouri have really shown me just because I can prove it, what these deer are capable of and are not afraid to do, you know, two and three miles is nothing. I mean, some yeah. of these, and here's the thing, some of these deer will summer there. And, and, and the best way that I know to describe it is deer are like people. And, and it's the best analogy you can think of. You know, you've got your homebodies. You got your people that like to go travel and party. You, you know, mm -hmm. you have everything in between. You like the deer that like to go out at night, get up early. People are the same way. So, on this on this big woods public, you know, it's one of those things where you may see a deer, and you may have him all year from velvet to rut to to January, and then there's other deer that you may have in velvet, and you have no clue where in the world they're at. They might be six eight, 10 miles away in their fall range. And those GPS collars, some of those studies have really confirmed that for me because personally I can prove just based off my trail cameras, four miles as a crow flies is about as far as I've gotten a deer. Mm -hmm. The same deer, with, I mean, without a doubt. And so, you know, for, and then you see some of these that are making these big giant jaunts, 12, 18 miles. I mean, I can't prove that, but yeah. in the big woods, three or four miles or however many acres you want to say, whether it's a one-time rut excursion or it's, you know, fall ranges here and summer ranges here, but these deer, you know, and that's why, and that's what gets me going is my chess match with one specific deer. I mean, I'm going to have, don't get me wrong. I'm going to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and they're all probably going to go in order of biggest to next biggest to next biggest to next biggest, but I'm going to know, that deer's tendencies does he travel or not is can i is he gonna go far and wide or is he a homebody you know and i'm gonna be and i'm already thinking you know it might be 2022 but if i've got a stellar three two-year-old or three-year-old i'm already trying to pattern that deer for when he becomes four or five because you can generally tell whether that deer is going to be special or not yeah so i'm already patterning that deer and putting out extra cameras for that deer before he ever is 160 or 180 when he's 120 and i'm putting out, i'm trying to figure out what he's going to do and what he likes to do now it will change because once they become mature deer they can do what they want to do and they pick and they may slide yeah. over take over the preferred habitat but that is you know all along if you're going to do it that way and with one buck tag and a lot of cameras and a lot of desire and places to put them um, that is that is my approach 100 percent yeah, I, I think it's a that's a hell of an approach. Yeah, I, it you know I'm I'm sure it's hard for people. I mean, if you're not using a GPS collar and you don't have you know access to thousands upon thousands of acres of private land or land to run cameras, yeah, it's gonna be hard for the average person to on their property to be able to track this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I. I uh, there's some bucks I'll get there during the summer and they just disappear and maybe I'll, 
maybe I'll get them, um, you know, around Thanksgiving or later. But, you know, then also you, you talk with some people or you hear some people talk on podcasts. And I think maybe they, I mean, trail cameras are great and I love them. But I think sometimes people give them a little too much credit as if, as if there's there's an assumption that they're doing that they think that the trail camera sees all you know like if if they're not if they're not getting this one buck on trail camera anymore then he's definitely gone he's definitely left their farm and he's somewhere else and it's like well probably but you don't who knows i mean a really valid point and here's my theory on that so next time you go hunt your food plot and your camera's right there sell camera not watch how many deer check that card tell me how many deer are on yeah. that camera versus how many deer you see that day yeah and so here's my theory is if, is if that deer if that deer is on your camera once then he's been within sight of your stand probably three times because he's not within x amount of days if he's on it once a week he's probably been there three times in that week but you couldn't he didn't walk in front of the camera that day and and that's you know there's no scientific evidence to, to back that up other than personal observation but if you will watch your cameras and how many deer you don't get on that camera mm -hmm. so if you think about it and uh the deer on the top there uh is a great example of that because the day i shot him he was not walking by the camera he was chasing a doe on the far mm -hmm. side of the feed plot and i or, and i was just in the stand and he was never going to walk by that camera but that deer lived on the neighbor we have a 300 acre farm we've leased for the last 10 years and <clears throat> he was on it and he only frequented that plot was the only spot i could get him on there was one other spot he would get on every now and then but that particular plot and he was so difficult to pattern but that's why it was the third year that he was there that i had enough in intel you know <clears throat> when he was three and a half i didn't have a whole lot of information he showed up mm -hmm. four and, a half, and i was like who in the heck is this where did he come from so then I go back in my archives. Okay, there he is at three and a half. What what did I save of him as three and a half? Okay, this is he was only at these two plots and he was here only in early in the summer, came back in the rut for a minute, and that was it. And so my thoughts on that deer was was basically I had a chance early. Um, just so happened he came back during the rut. I checked the camera, he was there, he was chasing does. And that and that's another thing that's been proven, and I will stand by it without a doubt, is it happened again last year. Um those deer that summer there were right during the peak of the, not peak of the, but the beginning of the rut go from their fall range back to their summer range, mm -hmm. look at that first hot doe, and you can catch the deer that summered on you. Sometimes you can get lucky and catch him coming back to his, from his fall range to his summer range, and you can shoot him during, but he may only be there for a day, three days if he's got a doe and she's in, she's hot and he's locked, you know, locked down this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what happened to him. He came back. Saw it on the camera, went in there, first hunt, and shot him. But my mistake on that is I could have done it sooner, but I just wasn't. I didn't check the cameras because I didn't think he would be there. But he proved me wrong by coming back to his fall range, to his summer range, peak rut, when he didn't, when he traditionally had not been there during the fall, and I got lucky, and that's how I killed that deer. So, um, and I know that's the beautiful thing about truck cameras that historical data, whatever days. And, and then you can almost count it down to a T. Mm -hmm. They've been there. They very good chance they will be back or very, yeah. very. Yeah, I, I noticed something several years ago. It was, it's like late September. There's a certain time when he, 
you can you can leave cameras up and sometime in late September they just change. Uh, the three three year old plus box they start showing themselves more a lot more daylight activity. Um, you know, socializing more and gearing up. Yeah, you probably have several valid points. And one of them, I, I, as far as the trail cameras and as far as deer, you know, when, and, you know, this, when they choose to go in front of them or not. But I, I, that's something I picked up a while back when I started to hunt more mobily. And I, I, I would have, I started to put more cameras out on trails, trails in the, in the, in the pine forest, you know, not on, a food plot or feed or anything like that, you know, on trails. And so, you know, in the South, there's not, there's typically not like a dedicated travel route. I mean, there's just trails everywhere um, in like a pine plantation. So, yeah, I mean, when you're hunting on a, on a major thoroughfare trail on the pine woods and the pine plantation, it's like, yeah, this is a major trail, but there's a dozen more on top of you. So when I would hunt mobily around some of these trail camera sites, you would notice there might be one deer that goes in front of it, but you're seeing all the way around you, you might see 20 deer and they're passing from A to B, you know, every single day they're going from A to B, but they're not, but they might walk, a buck might walk in front of my camera maybe three times a week, but they're going back and forth across that road every day. You just, just don't happen to see them. So that's been my point trail camera. I mean, I love them. They're great, but I think some people put a little too much stock in basically is like whatever they see, that's what's happening. And if they're not seeing that buck, then they're not hunting or it's whatever the, the movement, the camera shows, it's what the herd's doing. You know, if they're not seeing chasing on camera, then there's no chasing going on. And it's like, listen, I mean, you, you can have a bunch of cameras out, but you know, and, and also, I mean, just when someone hunts, I mean, if you go hunting or you and your buddies go hunting, Think about like what little percentage you're seeing of of your property of, of the herd, very 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 little. A um, lot of lot of good things I want to go back to. Um, you've mentioned a lot about pattering bucks. Um, so one question that stood out to me is that, and I know you you, you you've been chasing a buck now. Was it all last year or was it for a couple of years? Yeah, was all it was last year up until the 15th of December is when I finally made the decision I had to move on. Yeah. I, and then all of the prior season. And uh, so I basically he I dedicated a season and three quarters to him. And uh, we'll try it again this year, but tough. tough. So let's say let's say you got a buck in mind and uh, the the early season's coming on. Um, it's now the rot, okay. It's rut, does are going in the heat. How would you – what generally do you do to try to get on a buck during the rut pattern one? Like me, for instance, it kind of depends on the buck in the area, but a lot of what I do for hunting for bucks during the rut is hunt around the does, where the does are going to be. And it's not necessarily on a food plot, but it's maybe – I might be hunting a food plot, but I'm like way off of it. I'm hunting them – you know, maybe I have an idea where a buck's bad, but a lot of times during the rut, I'm really hunting around does and I know where the does are going to be. So I'm, that's where I'm going to put myself in, in the big woods like this public land. What, what are your kind of hunt setups when you're trying to so, get on a buck? So I've started hunting mobily more so the last two years myself. I've, I've gone the saddle route and uh, okay. 
much trash as I talked about it, I won't go back. It's the that's the end all right there. You won't go back? No, that's the end all. I, I mean, that's that's just it's just too light. It's just too handy, you know. I mean, I'll I'll tweak a few things, but man, I love it. Um, and so if I'm in the big, my favorite place to hunt is. I don't like des- I don't like destination anything, especially in public, because people are people are lazy. People go to destination because that's what they yeah. know. Public yeah. land. Like, what do you what do you think? So, for me, I want to go somewhere I can see the most deer. Which, what I try to do is is find. Everybody knows to look for a saddle nowadays, and that's fine, you know, to a degree. Um, what I really like is anywhere two trails meet an X of sorts. Mm-hmm. and I very well may go in there, especially one that I know where my target deer is going to be living, and I may have that mock scrape created created early, um, you know, now, summertime, and it may be soaking, it may be there, or those traditional community scrapes, but in the big woods where there's fewer deer in whatever state you're in, you, you, you know, you want to increase your odds of seeing deer, especially during the rut, so I mean, if you're targeting a spot during the rut, I, I went to Kansas this last year, shot one on you know, walk in public slept in the car for seven days it was nine degrees i had a blast and i'm i'm very not happy with kansas because i did not draw this year um but i had an absolute blast going out there and you know i shot that deer it wasn't terribly far half a mile deep quarter quarter Mm -hmm. packed him out you know i had had a blast doing it and i would i wanted to go back but anyways you know that was where two major trails crossed in a bottom you know, major, and I was, I would see tons and tons and tons of deer and I turkeys too. And what would happen is, you know, and that, at that point of crossing deer were, you know, converging there. And that's, so basically I was just upping my odds. I was going to see something and yeah. I would do the thing in the big woods, you know, some, you know, you're increasing your odds. And what happened is the very first time I scouted that piece, the deer I killed, I jumped him up out of there. I don't know if he was in there bedded. I don't think so. I may, I think it was just timing wise. It was like the 19th of November when I pushed him out of there. Well, I ended up killing him three days later and he was just by himself cruising and he was moving quickly. Mm-hmm. He come through and I just turned around that sucker was standing there at 20 yards. And I just, you know, before he got out of window, shot him and he, you know, it was perfect. He ran 60 yards. Everything's great. Um, you know, he was a five-year-old, uh, didn't, didn't score stellar 130, but I, I was tickled to death and I had, you know, you know, that was out of a saddle and I'd give anything to have a cell cam out there, but it's like 16 hours to get out there, 14 hours. And so yeah. I'm doing that this year, especially without the tag. So, uh, but you know, that was the thing. I, I found a spot where two major tr- trails hubs converged based mm-hmm. off the turbo, put me in that bottom and it just forced those deer to do that. So I was just up in my odds that I was going to see more deer. So, you know, if I'm in the big woods and, you know, if I'm looking for something, it's either going to be a community scrape, which is where a lot of my cameras go, or uh, the things that get overlooked are the, are the, the X's as I just mark them as when I, when I'm on my on X and I'm walking around, if I'm, if I have an X, I mean, that's just, you know, two trails are crossing. So mm-hmm. why stick it on one trail when you can cover two trails? And if you can find a, a scrape or put a scrape within sight of that, you've got the perfect scenario you're doubling your, the amount of deer that are going to use that area. And you're potentially bringing a deer to come in a buck to come check the scrape that you've either created or you're hopefully is there. Um, and so that is one of my more stellar because more and more of my more preferred uh, places to be because saddles get every saddle on public land has a camera on it anymore. And there's scrapes there mm-hmm. and, you, and I run them there too, but every saddle has, has a camera on it or a stand. And every field 
has a camera or a stand. So if I'm picking, that's where I'm going. I'm staying, you know, I'm thinking, what is, what are, what are not, not where's the year and a half old going to do? How is this five-year-old going to get through this area with hunters on the saddle and hunters on the destination food source? How am I going to find him and avoid the people? I, yeah. you know, people like, I have a lot of folks, I don't lock my cameras on public. I do my cell cams, but um, I don't lock my cameras on, on public. And like, you know, all you get are people. And it's like, well, I really don't get that many because I don't put them where people, I don't put them places where people go often. You know, yeah. they might be a good hunter in there during the peak rut who's out of state traveling, walking through, and he's look knows what he's looking for. And then mm -hmm. I might picture him. But if you'll keep your cameras out of the, the eat, and what it boils down to is people are lazy. You know, you put, yeah. them in, you put them in easy, lazy places. Those kind of people are the ones that's going to mess with your stuff. So that's why I have really had fairly good luck. I've, yes, I've lost some cameras. I've had several cards stolen and several cameras stolen, but it's not as bad as you'd think. Yeah. 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 I would think that if you, if you left it unlocked, someone might take the car just to, to get their picture off of it if they're on it, but maybe they're more likely to leave it. I don't know. Well, most leave of the camera. I just want to see what's on the card. They don't care what they're on there. That's on. true. And I get a lot of people check the card and put it back. And that's back fine. You want to check it, look at it, put it back. <laughs> as long as it's running when you leave, that's fine. I don't yeah. care. You ever, um, you ever come in to either check a card, check one of your cameras, or to hunt one around one of your cameras and find somebody else set up to hunt on or around one of your cameras? Not yet, but it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, this hasn't happened um, mostly because I've been in such a small area hunting this deer. Um, and that's just, you know, I'm dedicated, have been very dedicated to him and I have not had any issues. Um, only a couple times mm -hmm. did I even run up on other, other hunters while out and about. And it was just, uh, solely because of access, they were hunting a field. I needed to get through the field to get to what was important, which was, you know, 600 yards behind the field the thicket where they're bedding but they're sitting on the field and i have to wave at them and walk on my way and so sometimes that happens uh, but i've honestly had fairly good luck and not any yeah. you know not any true encounters that would be you know a bad experience i mean it's it's inevitable and i've hunted you know everything you could think of on public you know ducks turkey uh whatever you know all of it so it, it happens and you'll run up on it but um you know so far um and at least in recent years it's not been terrible yeah that's good they haven't had any instances yet um you've mentioned mock scrape several times can you talk about how you create a mock scrape unless you don't want that out on the street it's not a not nothing crazy i mean um i will so basically you're looking for that perfect tree, you know, mm -hmm. and you want the deer to be where you want them to be. And that's the same thing, like, especially if you're on private land, you know, the, the big, the, the ones that are on TV and kill a lot of big deer, uh, it's at this point, it shouldn't be a secret. If you have any common sense, it's, it's food both early and late. And then it's just, you know, manipulation of the bedding and, and, and then just eventually, and then the age class, of course, is the number one most important of anything, but you put all that together, not rocket science when it comes to that so if you can on private land especially where i am allowed to cut all of the limbs on the field edge except the one that i want them to use mm -hmm. that i don't even have to add any synthetic or add any 
thing actually like it's well it's either you scrape here or you don't and it's going to happen um, especially when the deer density is as good as it is you know in our area and so on public you're a little more um limited because you can't use mineral you can't use bait and you you know you can't you know cut lambs and all that sort of good stuff so a lot of times a lot of times what i like to do is um find dead whatever you know dead downfall deadfall uh use those as blockers put those on trails you know you know i want the deer to do what i want them to do but i'm going to do it within legal legal you know, means and so if that means taking carrying limbs from wherever to force them to take the trail that I want them to take because the tree's right there. And I'm thinking, you know, and, and it's, there's no, it's not a perfect scenario every time, but it's like, okay, I know this deer's in this area. There's a scrape here. Here's where I think that they could come from, you know, and, and I don't do anything. I know you can, and I might get into it more in depth in due time, but I've not taken the effort to do anything more than present the perfect spot. I'll clean it out, pick the limb, might even, you know, peeing it myself honestly uh, i don't think there's any harm in it truthfully i don't think it's stellar by any means but if you can ever get it started that's the thing if you can ever get the first year and a half old to start i mean it was troy pottinger if i'm saying his name right the guy from idaho who yeah. you know did, did the you know he it was his quote and i'm sure he got it from some reliable sources because i know he's diehard on the synthetic but you know you're the what you're leaving behind is ammonia and your human scent disappears in x amount of hours so if you can ever get the first one to start using it it will take so i'm i'm putting it where i want it to be because i'm going to hunt right here in this tree because this is the tree i need to be in on a north wind which is when i anticipate i'm going to be in here and then i hope they're going to hit this scrape and if i catch it during the right time you know or you know or if i get a camera you know that, that that's okay but you're you're thinking all of these outside factors and trying to create the perfect scenario where if this deer does what I think he's going to do. He's going to end up right here, 20 yards, and I'm going to have a shot while he's got his head up in the limbs working. That's great. But as far as any sort of secret concoction or anything like that, I don't do anything other than present the perfect scenario. And so what would you do if you went back? If it's not a cell camera, you go back to check the camera and let's say they haven't hit it as, as a scrape, as a scrape yet. Would you just take another, just rake it out again, pee it again, and just keep trying Probably. until it catches on? Probably, I would do that. And you know, a lot of times, like I know, going back to what Troy said, you know, he breaks off the limbs and uses latex, yeah, yeah, off and rolls the ends to make it look like they chewed on it. And I don't, I don't get quite that in depth with it. I'm, I'm just blaming it on laziness, and that's fine. But whether they use or they don't, that camera is in that spot because those trails are converging most of the time. And that's yeah. still what the deer intend to be. And I'm just adding an extra enticement for those deer to be in that specific spot. That is, that is the goal of that scenario. And so um, that's what I'm shooting for. And then I'll, uh, so I can, I've got a couple examples of the deer I've been chasing. Um, not this past year, but the year before. Well, I'll talk about this past year. That was a good one. Um, check the camera, non-cell cam, mm -hmm. early November. Um, he was on it that morning before daylight, like five o'clock. So I knew he was close and yeah. that's rare. Well, anyways, I called my dad and was like, Hey, he's in here. Can you get off work this afternoon? Can you get down here? Let's, let's, let's put some pressure on him. I'll get on one side. You'll get on the other. Well, I played it safe. I put my dad 
in one spot and I, and I got on the other spot. And, and we stayed on the upwind side and we did what we were supposed to do as hunters. Well, the deer did what the deer was supposed to do as a deer and got up and walked out of that thicket. We had two, two exits covered on this side of the thicket and he got up and walked with the wind in his face and went out the other side of that thicket. And I know that because when I got right to my truck that night, that cell, my cell cam dinged and he was sitting there working that scrape, looking at me. And if I had been over there, sure. I might've got a shot at him, but that was also my, I would have been giving him my wind and he'd probably never made it there. So I don't regret that decision, but it's annoying when a big buck does what a big buck's supposed to do and you can't do anything about it because you did your, you did what you were supposed to do and he did what he was supposed to do. That's, that's right. Do you, um, I thought of this a minute ago, kind of, do you subscribe the theory? I, I'm saying the word theory. I don't know that's the right way of putting it. Uh, in that, uh, you know, you, Look behind you. I know people, if they're listening to this, they can't see it, but you, you've got quite a collection of four shoulder mounts all together. That's called that, that would be called a pedestal right now. Yeah, there's no, above a pick this spot for, for good reason, but yes, yeah. it's, uh, it's the full range, it's the three, and then I got the one on top. See, so, I mean, those are very mature bucks, and I, I, there's guys out there, guys and girls that would say, you know, uh, they, they're going to blame in my, by the way I put, they're going to blame, they're going to come up for excuses as far as not seeing a buck or a buck disappear, a buck's nocturnal, you know, it's an older buck, certain point during, during the, you know, season, if you don't kill them, you can educate them and they've gone nocturnal and they just waited out. Or do you think, and this is the way I think, uh, you know, after hunting for a while and then kind of going back to what we said a minute ago, where like when you start to hunt mobily and you have cameras, you'll, you'll, when you're not hunting on those destination spots, the food plots, the ag fields, the corn piles, the feeders, whatever, you see how they move. And you, you know, it's, it's like what I said earlier, they're going to move from A to B like every day throughout every single day, but how they get there is different. Um, I get, what I'm really getting at my question is, do, do you subscribe theory that mature bucks at a certain point, they're just going to turn nocturnal and they're going to hunker down until night, or they're going to keep doing what they're doing. They're just going to go around you. They're just skirting around you. And they're with maybe a hundred yards of your permanent stand, but they're right where you can't see them. They know where you in, enter and exit. They figured you out. They're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think that it's like if you listen to the Spartan Forge guy, I can't think of his name, who does all the has the, all the tele, telemetry data mm -hmm. from all the states. I mean, you know, he talked, I, the one that stuck out was the one, the deer in Louisiana that they was at a club and they found dead and they never had pictures of. And, you know, he was basically just knew where the stands were and just went around it because everybody had to hunt their permanent sets. And so yep. I like hunting mobily now, especially because, for example, well, you're hunting those X's. Well, one, if the wind shifts from northeast to northwest, well, you just make that switch too, assuming you have the, the, the proper tree or then maybe you just or maybe, you you know, if you can. Um, the other thing, you know, you're going to get busted. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at. You're going to get busted. Simple. Well, you get busted. Those deer remember what's in that tree. Well, if I'm not in that same tree next time, it don't matter because I'm three trees over. Right. Now, they're looking at that tree and I'm over here now. You know, and so that's that's the beauty of that is, you know, they learn 
but you also have to adapt too. I mean, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a never ending game of cat and mouse. And that's the beauty of deer hunting. Why it makes it better. And I don't even care. It makes it better than ducks, turkey. They all die the same. They're, you know, they're. Oh, there's they're no question. There's, there's no comparison. You know, they're, yeah. they're all, they're either turkeys and ducks, but a deer, you know, especially when you get, and it's not for everyone. What I do, you know, my dad had me in a daggum deer stand strapped to his chest at four, you know, in a lock on tied a thousand ways to not fall out. But I have been, at it for a hot minute and I've done you know a fair amount for someone my age and I've been very fortunate with what I've the opportunities I've had to do it but I haven't relaxed either I don't give those deer any break I'm still very mad at them yeah and um <laughs> you know not going to give them any any slack so yeah. that's me going and I've had you know I've, I used to bow fish all the time and I've really I just put my boat up for sale I've just really slacked on you know everything and I've just pretty much put all the dice into deer and I'll take one I'm taking one out west trip per year usually mm -hmm. you know, september and that's pretty well it but it's all dedicated deer to deer at this point and um this is very much what i enjoy and so what i do is not for everyone but if you know once you and, and i think it's just the the maturity the phase of a hunter and all people a lot of people don't talk about that but you yeah. know you get into it you want to kill your first one then you want to kill one with a bow then you want to kill a mature buck and then you want to kill the biggest buck and then you always see it you know grandpa wants to take the kids honey they're taking the next generation and so you know that's you know i'll probably hit that phase sooner than, than later because you know i've, I've killed i've i got there faster i got there yeah. faster than most yeah. than the average person who gets there at 50 or 60 uh who kills their big buck then because that's what the average person does based off that timeline i've just accelerated it but um you know it's it's just you know there's just something about a white-tailed deer that eats me up and that's just and that's just what the my mindset and the way i approach it and not cutting them any slack and and uh it's a uh, man it's it's awesome well that's the way to do it i mean if you're going to be hardcore about it um it's just you know taking it like you said uh year round i mean i what you just said i have i have some similarities you know um definitely with that i mean we've got a nice pond um that i rarely fish at when i'm at the farm because there's always something to do or like if i'm turkey hunting or looking for sheds like yeah i'm looking for sheds and yeah i'm turkey hunting but i'm also paying a lot more attention probably to the scouting aspect you know that time of year um scouting for deer you can see a lot more trails like before green up during turkey so what i'm saying is like i do i do stuff year round up there but it's usually always kind of geared towards deer it might be beneficial to quail or turkeys or might be duck hunting, but I'm always kind of paying attention. And I think that's, that's what really separates, you know, the hardcore guys that, you know, has a collection of mounts like that behind you. And people are like, well, how'd you get that way? And it's like, well, you know, cause you, you, you eat, sleep and breathe it. And, you know, going back to what you're talking about um, as far as bucks. Yeah. I, 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 I brought that up. I kind of, figure what you would say but yeah i think bucks gonna do what they're gonna do and you know when our season starts uh, a lot of our food plot our food plots like red hot and our ag fields are red hot you know you got a lot of does coming into it maybe some bucks but um you know people shoot does or that we start shoot, shooting does mid-september and then there's a certain point in mid-october things just uh those same destinations are red hot but they're not red hot at dawn and dusk they're red hot. They're coming in at, 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 at oh. night. So when when I hunt mobily, and I'm most of the people that hunt don't hunt mobily. My dad was hunting more mobile, but he's 
he's, he's, you know, not hunting out a climber so much. Um, he's a very young 70, but he hasn't hunted a climber as much. Um, but anyways, what I'm getting at is a certain point, usually it's mid-October. And I can look at our hunter observation log and I can look at our harvest log and look where, you know, see where deer are being killed. And I realize that people are hunting these stands, A, B, and C, but they're not killing anything. And another good stand, they haven't been burned up necessarily with like people shooting, but they, but, but there's human pressure. And then you go in and you hunt mobily between them and you'll see, like I had, I had a friend of mine shot a nice buck right on top of a stand, a very good stand. No one had shot on, but people were seeing deer, but people started, were starting to see deer further and further away. And then he sits within a couple hundred yards of his permanent stand. He's just covered up in them and had a couple bucks. And so it's that kind of thing. So, so yeah, I, I'm that same way. I, I feel like deer are going to do what they're going to do. Um, they're not going to turn nocturnal for you and me. I mean, because you got to think, especially like like during the rut, and, that, and that's what I think people get way out of whack when they start uh, thinking way too much about the weather. You know, it's eighty five degrees in in the south, and it's in its first week in November, and it's like these bucks aren't waking up thinking it's eighty five degrees. I'm just going to chill, you know, all day and not. It's like no, they're they're biologically wired to you know pursue the. The dozing heat, you know, they're they're not they're not changing what they're doing. I mean, I can't. I mean, I mean, how many times have you seen a buck or might be a young buck? They're just panting, you know. You see them, and they're just dog ass tired during the rut. You know, they're, they're not they're not thinking about. Yeah, they they might smell something they don't like, but they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, they're not going to change much. Back to to me, it's. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna use this again. We're gonna go back to the Outdoor Channel. When do all of the big name shows kill all of their big deer? It's early and it's late. It's when they're the the most vulnerable. You, yeah. You know, because it, because patterning and killing a the deer during the rut or late October is always the most challenging. And unless you have that ability or you have that desire, like I mean, you know, our season comes in typically around the first of September, third of September. I could be here killing a velvet deer every year. That does not fire me up whatsoever. Now, if I had a giant booner or whatever that was doing it, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have to say no. But that does not get me fired up. But there are guys that do it. And then there are guys that, you know, you can leave 20 acres of standing beans. Well, you're going to have the biggest deer within X amount of miles. It's just inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, though that's so anyways, so that being said, then you go back to, okay, well then that let's talk about October, November. Well, then you're hunting deer that are not patternable because they're not doing anything that makes any sense for the most part, because they're mm-hmm. just all instincts. So then being able to be mobile and then they're, you know, they're following the does, but I truly believe that. And it's like, you know, we picked up a new farm this year and one being the first year, I don't have personally any desire to go over there and hang a bunch of stands because I just don't know what we're getting. I think it'll be a good farm, but I just don't know. I don't want to commit an entire day and a whole lot of sweat and ticks to guessing. Knowing I'm going to hunt out of a saddle anyway, I just would and let the cameras do the work for me. I'm, I went and I've got one buck today. I'm not going over there unless there's something special regardless. Mm-hmm. But the stands I'm going to hang are going to be for my mom, for my wife, for my grandpa, you know, whoever comes to town to visit, uh, luckily my, my, well, I say luckily my kids are not quite there yet in due time. They will be, but for me, I'm going to hang two. I'm going to, we're going to go there and put two, maybe three stands. They're going to be in obvious places and they're going to be for 
that those type of scenarios. But if I go in there, I'm going to go where my instinct tells me, where the sign tells me. I'm not going to hang on the field edge. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go where I feel like from whatever information I've gathered, that deer is going to be better than I need to be. And it might be on those spots, but um, most likely you know, that's, that's the beauty of the mobile setup and being able to do that. And man, it is just a different world and I freaking love it. What, before you switched to a saddle, what was your mobile stand? That really wasn't. I mean, we were hunting one, I was hunting less, I was traveling less and hunting less mm -hmm. public land. And, and I, you know, there was the farm we've had for 10 years. I was talking about, we killed that deer. You know, I was spending so much time manicuring food plots and doing all that. And I was just hunting what I had out of the stands that were available. And we had multiple, we had two, three ladder stands on, on one food plot just for scenarios. Yeah. For yeah. Now, you know, it's like, dad's like, Hey, you want to buy some more stands this year? I'm like, absolutely not. I just spent all that money on them sticks that are, yeah. You know, and this, that, and the other, and I am not buying any more stands. I don't need them. The stands I'm buying and the stands I'll be moving will not be for me. They'll be for my family who, when they go, yeah. have a good place to sit and it's easy for them to get in and out. And if I want to sit with them and it's a single man ladder, I'll just hang that platform above them and set off to the side and, and just hunt with them. And yeah. so, you know, that's not, a, not an issue in that way, but that's, that's how my approach has changed. And it's honestly saved me a whole lot of money mm -hmm. in moving stands. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, hunting when I'm going out for a buck, it, which, you know, there's certain times where like I'm buck hunting. I mean, the first month I'm buck hunting because that's legally, that's all I can shoot in South Carolina. But there's, you know, we're shooting does. We're trying to really hammer them when they first come in. But that's why I like sitting on a food plot or field, unless I feel like a buck's coming in, a lot of times I don't, if I'm trying to shoot a buck at that point and not a doe is because if a field is unpressured or food plot, I mean, you know, you're going to have an X amount of deer coming in. And if you're trying to kill a buck, it's like how many non, how many non mature bucks deer are going to come in that, that aren't mature buck. They're going to come in. You're not going to shoot it. And you've got, a set of eyes all around. That's why when you talk to a lot of these guys, you know, they kill them on the first set, first time in. And, yeah. You know, that first set is without a doubt your best chances because then they know you're there and they may not catch your scent till 3 a.m. that night when they finally come through and you're long gone and back in the bed, you know, mm. but they're going to know you were there. And that's why the, the beauty of, of, of mobile versus permanent is they learn, they figure it out. It gets passed down. You know, they know where the feed, the corn is and they know where the stand is. And if you can throw them a curveball and you can switch it up. Um, and that's like, you know, especially when you're hunting the big woods, I, there's very few, very, very, very few spots. I'll hunt more than once. I mean, truthfully, you know, I'll hunt generally the same area, but mm -hmm. that's only a handful of trees out there that are good enough for me to climb on more than one time and ride it out and say, that's the tree I'm going back to for three or four or five days until something comes by. Now that spot in Kansas, I kept coming back to it. I'd leave, I'd go scout a different piece of public, yeah. and I'd come back over there. And then I'd go, and then I'd, you know, I'd leave and go scout and hunt somewhere else, and, that, and I'd be back there that next morning. And eventually, and, and that's the thing, I guarantee I'd go over there and sit any given time for four days in a row and, and come home with a mature deer. And that's just, there are just some spots out there that are like that. And so, um, yeah, and like I said, first spot, you know, especially on permanent, you know, pressure, access, they know. It doesn't matter. You know, they may not learn that you were there until the next day, but they're going to know. 
And so that's where you're, you're, you're the, the, the law of diminishing return and all that. I mean, it, it all comes yeah. back to get them on that first one. And if you don't, it, you know, it's only, it may be good for two, three, four sets, but at some point you've got to realize that you probably should be looking at plan B, uh, what else you can do to change it up and how else you can attack, you know, get in this deer's bedroom or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's some, that's some very good points. So what are your, what are your goals this year? Do you, I mean, or do you have any specific hunting goals for 2022? No, this year has really kind of, um, it's been so busy with work and, mm-hmm. and I have less, I've done less work and I've planned less and I've thought about it less than, than maybe ever in my entire life. And not drawing Kansas really hurt my feelings. So now I'm sitting here thinking, what do I do for my November trip? Because the way I stage, I set my life up is I can't hunt as much as I, you know, I don't need to hunt as much as I could because I, you know, I have kids and obligations now. So I try to do one trip in September and it's a Western trip. This year I'm going to Alaska to hunt caribou, uh, which that's a big one. I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. That's very Western. I'll be, I'll be out there. On out my there. I'll be out there on my 30th birthday, which is why my, that's my excuse for spending all that money. That's awesome. It's not terrible, but it, it's still not cheap. And then November, I typically try to take one. And what I like to do is I like to leave our farms unpressured mm-hmm. during the gun season, opening first five days and, and go somewhere because yeah. then the deer will stay on us hopefully and not die. And then they have a safe place to be. And then, cause I can hunt our farms, September, October, December, January. So, I mean, that's fine. So I'll go somewhere in September or and for early, and then I'll go on a second trip in November. And then that's my year. I don't do typically turkeys trips. I don't typically do anything during the summer uh, other mm-hmm. than what my wife wants. And so that is kind of my approach and has been for the last three years. So um, I'm going to stay after my one big deer. Um, he's what my tail. I've got a lot of intel on him. I do have another deer, the one that I switched to late in the year. I think that deer could really make a good jump. Um, I don't think he's any older than four and a half and um, he was a booner last year. So hopefully he really puts it on uh, from four to five and that deer might, depending on what he looks like this year, he might draw me over there sooner than later uh, than what he did this past year. I still shot him and been real happy. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was probably low seventies. Um, yeah. But I'll be I'd be very tickled to have that one or the one that I have all the history and and um, you know basically devoted my life to uh, for the last couple of years. Um, yeah. So he he's still number one. So w- with with the intense amount of scouting you do and you know trail cameras, do you typically when you go into the deer season do you typically have bucks already identified that you want to that you know that you're going to pursue or have there been times where you, we have a season, you've gotten some bucks, but nothing that's really like stolen your heart. And so you're going out hunting and you don't, you don't really know what you're going to see, meaning that you've got one buck tag. And so are you ever in the stand, not really knowing what could come out and then having to make that decision, uh, I'm just thinking about have I ever, I mean, only when I'm gone out of state to hunt or you go, you know, pay somewhere to hunt, you know, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to kill one. You're not going to kill more than one, but I haven't necessarily had that um, thought, but I mean, have you ever had that where like you're hunting, you don't necessarily have bucks lined up, but you know, we're in the area and you got to see one, you're bow hunting and you got to make that decision whether or not you're going to draw back 
And so, I, like, what are you looking for? Age, the size I've of antlers, on, the point? I've passed on more mature deer in the last three years than I would care to admit because, you know, my goal is to kill a mature deer. Right. Um, but typically, very rarely, maybe I can't think of it, but once or two instances, have I ever been thrown off by deer? I've got enough cameras and got enough boots on the ground. I know what's mm -hmm. in there for deer if you're, and, you know, I'm already, like I said, I'm planning my 23 deer and my 24 deer, my target deer already now. I mean, I know where if one dies, okay, I know I'm going here. And if he dies, I'm going here. And if he dies, I'm focusing on this deer. I'm already yeah. scheming for what's going to be there and knowing. So I don't get thrown off very often. And typically what makes it easier is when you've seen those pictures, I've passed last year, there was a deer that was four-year-old. I passed on him twice. Uh, he was in the one forties and he ended up getting shot uh, in January. Uh, unfortunately, I was kind of hoping to see what he would be this year, but um, you know, he got shot. And then there was another deer in, in Iowa, first day in Iowa that was without a doubt a mature deer, 140. You know, I didn't go to Iowa shoot right at, it was right at 140. He might not even touched it, but he was massive eight point mature deer just clean pretty deer watching eight yards videoed it you know and then there was another deer that i was holding out for the big one he was easy 150s 10 30 yards public land you know mature all checked all the boxes and i you know the the thing about it is iowa was the first day so i, I kind of ruled that one out but the other two yeah. knew they were in there and, and when you know what's in there and you've already checked all the you've got all the history and all the pictures you're not getting surprised it's like in your mind, like, all right, I've already decided mentally I'm passing this deer no matter what. He comes in. I know what's in here. I'm holding out for my target deer. I don't care how big he looks. So very rarely will I ever get thrown off. It's only happened to me a time or two, and it's never happened to the point like I've got to shoot that, and I have no clue what I just shot. Right. And I, and I get my kicks out of the specific deer and beating him. If it takes me three years, that's what I'm going to do. And so I've eaten my statewide tag the last two years over that and killed, you know, army-based deer, quota hunt deer, Kansas deer, Missouri, Oklahoma, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that does scratch the itch for me because I know I can ride this statewide tag and hunt all the way into January. So I if I'm going to be picky, I'm going to be picky on that one. And when I go wherever I'm going to go, you know, the standards will eventually drop. Um, you know, and, you know, take home maybe something that I, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm not going to shoot it unless I'm happy. Cause I mean, that is what I preach and, and I'm not going to make excuses for anything I shoot. So if I shoot it, I'm going to be happy about it. And um, that is kind of the way I approach it. I, I hold out for my good one here, for whatever special here, whatever I can find. And yeah. then wherever I go, you know, maybe it's a little bit different, but um, prefer a mature one, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's funny how, uh, we as hunters have to really kind of change how we hunt and where we and when and how we hunt just because of, you know, uh, family, kids, work, you know, you just don't have the same amount of free time that you did before. So, um, yeah, it's all about just, I've been trying to hunt smart past couple of years and just, I mean, it sounds obvious, but you know, there's, there's time, you know, there's times where I can get away to hunt. It might not be the best weather conditions or whatever, but it doesn't bother me. I can go hunt. So I will. And then it's like, you know, you maybe, maybe you got that one spot that you know is dynamite, but like the, the, the wind's not quite right for it. And you, you just can't force the issue, you know, you just can't because you can't. I just, I just, you know, I've got to be a lot more methodical as far as how and when I hunt when I or really not so how when but you know how I hunt when I get to go 
because I don't get to go all that often. Um, or when I can get away, usually for me, it's like a 24 hour trip where like I'll leave at lunch, you know, work half a day, get that afternoon hunt in, hunt the next morning and then come back. And with that 24 hour trip, I'm not, there's really not, you're not really doing any scouting. I don't really do a whole lot of scouting for the, I don't really do a whole lot during the season. I, I do a lot more in the off season and then running off historical data, historical for trail cameras, looking back, thinking back. Yeah. I mean, thinking back about like when our bucks are shot, you know, where they're shot, when they're shot during the season. I mean, yeah, I, so you, you base a lot of things off historical too. Yeah. I mean, historical is huge. I don't do it as much in season scouting as I might should. I don't, I don't like to be, I mean, I'm fairly aggressive, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, push them out unnecessarily. Um, and then, you know, as far as the other thing, this has kind of been my mindset, you know, my business has grown for the last five years, you know, which the market has helped and, you know, whatnot, but it's also just, you know, time in it, you know, you're eventually going to see that return. Well, everybody, I would always, you know, get the comment, well, you, you know, you spend too much time, you hunt too much and whatever. It's like, well, take what I'm given. But my approach is I run all these cameras now. I do all this. Well, there's going to come time when my kids are going to take over. I'm not going to, I'm going to have to start. I'm already coaching softball now and helping here and doing this. And I know my time's going to become even more limited. And well, if there's a day where I can't put out a single camera, that may be, that may be true, but I'm going to know 15 dang good spots on public or private that I can go hang any given day and expect a good hunt. And that's, you know, kind of the end all is, is, um, I may not be able to do it like I'm doing it now, but I'm going to do it while I can. And then, um, and, and that's been a big challenge, you know, is, is, I mean, I realize that in life that I've got to hunt smarter um, and, and less essentially. So you're picking, you know, just like you said, you're picking those days, picking those times. And hopefully this historical data, you know, it's like when I go to put out cameras on public at this point, there may be a day where I can run to Illinois and slap up 15 cameras in a day, which seems crazy to some people. But if you've got the spots and they're there and you, that's all you got to do is go up there, drive, boom, 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 boom. And you're yeah. gone yeah. You back for three months and you know, it's there, you know, so it's about being, you know, it's, it's smarter, not harder, efficient, whatever you want to say. And then, you know, you figure it out from there. Now, once I find my target deer and whatever it's going to be, that's when I'll really soak it in and maybe spend some time walking, but um, off season, you know, walk, if you're going to walk, that's one thing people don't do. They don't get out there. You just got to be out there. You just got to learn it. You know, what they woodsmanship, whatever you want to call it, you got to be out there January, February, March. I mean, you don't want to know how many miles I burned through two pair of lacrosse uninsulated a year, um, mostly just because they rip and everything. But, you know, three, four, five hundred miles scouting, I've done it. I mean, you look my on X, it'd scare you. Um, but it's just, it, and of course, I love it. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. That's if I get a free minute, I'm gone and I'm going somewhere to do something deer related. That's my free time, my downtime. So, you know, I'm different in that way, but if you have a limited time, yeah, I mean, all that stuff can help you. Cell cams, historical data, you know, picking your weather days. You know, if it's hot in November, you stay home, play with the kids. The next day, weather's dry, you're, you're gone. Yeah. And so uh, I think that's what you have to realize is a very serious hunter. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that's what separates you from a lot of other people. If you're, you got to figure out where, wherever you hunt, you got to figure out what the deer naturally do, what the bucks naturally do, does not, 
not what they do when you manipulate the land. You know, people put food plots in and whatever else. That's that's fine, but you're manipulating their natural movement. So, I mean, their natural movement isn't going to a food plot because a lot of times food plots aren't, they're not there year round. They're not perennials. So, well, you know, what they are the mature deer. It's like, you know, why don't I ever get mature deer on my corn piler if I did not? Like, people just don't understand. It's like, well, they're not dumb. You know, they're not going to do yeah. what all deer do. They're not that old. They're not that big for, you know, without reason. And so uh, that blows my mind a lot of times when talking to hunters, they just can't infer that that's just what a deer is going to do so you know if you want to be where the big bucks are you got to think like you know you got to think like they do and you got to do what they do you know you can't be out there with seeing 30 deer and enjoying it you know if you go out there their days or if i don't if i see a deer i've had a good day but i'll know i know i was in the right spot in the right vicinity and then there's been days i check the camera and i'm like man that deer was a mile and a half from where i was and i wasn't even in the same ball yeah so it happens yeah, it does. Um, going back to trail cameras real quick. As far as the height, do do you do you do me do anything different with height? I mean, I know some people will put them up tall and kind of angle them down. I, I run a lot of well, if I'm if I'm getting the perfect setup, and I'm very very picky um, about where and how. Yeah, I think a lot of people put the cameras too high. I put them low, and a lot of times mm-hmm. low people don't look low. Um, but yes. There are times, especially if I am going to put a camera on a field edge scrape, when there are times when I will do that, that I will um, put them, you know, 10, 15 foot up. That ain't nothing. I've, you know, I've I've put them in stumps, um, dead logs. You know, there are just scenarios you kind of got to, you know, work with what you, you know, get what you're taking. And I shoot, I've got some so close to the road, they get pictures of vehicles going by. You know, (laughs) you just got to go. You know, and that's that's the the beauty of it. Truck cams are more affordable now. Yes, I have expensive ones. Yes, I have a lot of cheap ones, yeah. which make more expendable. Um, and I'm able to do things with. But the way I approach it is, I take you know I've got a bunch of expendable cheap ones, and then I've got a bunch of I'll say a bunch. I've got a handful of really nice ones that take good videos and take good pictures. They're just more expensive, and that's just what you get. You you know you pay you get what you pay for. So I will take those and put them where I know there's a big deer that lives, and I expect a big deer to work this great. Kind of like my cell cams, they go in my top my top eight, 10 spots where I anticipate to get the information I need to get. And mm-hmm. then because I've only got eight right now. So that being the case, I only put them in the top eight spots where I anticipate getting that information. And sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. And then my video cameras on video, I'll put them on a scrape at the farm where I know I'm going to get a lot of really, because I mean, for me, it's about just getting good videos and as much as anything. I mean, yeah. um, I'm not going to put all my good cameras on one deer. I love to see what's out there. So I keep, I keep a lot of, I, I move around a lot of small, a, a lot of cheaper ones, um, mm-hmm. you know, in places that are very obvious. Um, and if they steal them, well, you know, that's just, that's just part of it. Um, you know, cause I mean, they, they'll get stolen on public or private. It don't matter. And so um, that, that's kind of the way I approach it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you just gotta be creative. And if you, you think the risk is high, then you gotta kind of do things to, to be different. And a lot of times you, a dead giveaway on those is to strap. And I know you kind of, straps are your giveaway that's what yeah. people see and so it's it's a fine line of screw-in steps you are illegal on a lot of public and so you kind of gotta figure that out but there's even times when i had a camera stolen on a piece of ground i owned and so i put a dead gum camera at the gate you know 15 feet up and i know there's a lot of folks who have cell cams dedicated to watching their property in the entrance and so um that and that and that's what i enjoy and, and I, I i will waste a, i'll waste 10 cameras a year on just weird stuff you know the pond 
Uh, mm-hmm. If I see him do something once, I saw we had up there at the cabin. It wasn't our, it wasn't my camper. There was you know somebody else had a camper up there, and we would. I saw a deer bedding in it. Well, I rigged up a spot and put a camera to get deer bedding underneath the camper in the hot summer sun. That's it's like when I found the barn buck. You know, I jumped him up out of there. It's like oh, so anything you. That's what a lot of people don't think about, and that's where I nerd out. Is you know you just you get you get if you see something happen once, it's probably going to happen again. So yeah, pond. You know, you know, I knew that, you know, the turkey nest, whatever. So that's where you can come up with some those cool videos. But that's what, that's where I nerd out and go that direction versus the average person. So Definitely. if you don't got into that, I, I understand. Do, do those turkey poults survive? I know they, they made it off the nest and they're gone and they're in the woods. And I've only got 10 acres here, so I, I can't keep up with them. So I pulled all my cameras, got everything out of there, mowed, mowed it up. Yeah. Mowed it. Hopefully it's, I did, I did all I could do. So so but i have i very much that was a lot i was a lot of stress is what that was but it was a lot of fun too um so to see them hatch was uh was well worth it i'm sure that was yeah that was some cool footage of having that hen on that have the camera right on that nest um well let's start to wrap this up we'll ask you uh three questions i ask everybody um do you have a book or a magazine or some content that you can suggest to someone maybe hunting in the Southeast? Um, something that you, well, if you have mentioned books or, you know, favorite hunting books, maybe some content or a podcast or something that you would recommend to people um, to listen to or read. Um, Rich dad, poor dad. Does that count? That's always my go-to. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you got to pay for things. You got to pay for the. Okay. That's, that's the first one. But then, yeah. um, no, the, uh, man, I just, I, you know, I love the guys over at Exodus and, and what they put out. They tons mm-hmm. of, and I can't say, you know, I can say them as much of their stuff and especially those podcasts, whether I'm driving down the road or I'm, I haven't listened to the one with Bill Winky yet. I, that's on my short list of things to do this week is to get, is to listen to that one. But um, it's hard to beat what they put out over there. Uh, truthfully most of the media i consume is podcast these days because i got my airpods in and i'm doing something i don't if i'm on the daggum mower or if i'm scouting if i'm yeah. doing deer yeah. stuff I'm listening to deer stuff and so uh, i've actually like i said i've been i've been i've done less deer stuff so i've uh, i don't have anything recent that really stands out but those guys that um are on there you know like i said that's how you know pottinger i heard all that and that was him talking so all that sort of good stuff is is uh, where i like to be yeah. Yeah. That, that Exodus radio is really good. They, they do a good job uh, with guests or even when they don't have guests, but that's something I, and I with, know them, with them. So that makes it easier for me, but they do, they put a lot of effort into it and I'll give it to them. Yeah, they do. And it, it's, you know, they get guys on, they can like yourself. And I know you were on, on their show, but they can actually talk about really great, detail as far as what they're doing and how they piece things together like what you've told me and told everyone else today whereas sometimes you listen to some podcast with like a you know quote serial big buck killer and though it's like sometimes you listen to one and one guy and you listen to them all and they're just like regurgitating the same stuff naturally you know. like you doing what we do, you, you, when somebody starts talking, I get a real feel right out the gate. If this person's real, or if they're not, you know, and, yeah. and, and experiences like this person either truly knows what they're talking about, or I'm going to have to say, yeah, that's cool. 
well, that's you know, yeah, you know, a hundred yeah. times. You get it right out the gate, and there are times, don't get me, I'll turn it off just as fast as anything. But there are times, you know, there and, and that's the thing. I try to keep up with what's out there, mostly in the podcast world, or, or and I watch what's on YouTube. It's hard to watch mm -hmm. videos, but that is most of the media that I consume personally. And then I love, you know, I mean, just talking to people on Instagram, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, keeping up with the with the folks that I know there. I mean, it's I know it's the off season, but uh, met a lot of good friends that way. Yeah, it's been I, I I really enjoyed connecting different people and really networking on Instagram. But yeah, I think there's a difference between people like you and me that are like making the best out of where they hunt, as opposed to there's some that are hunting different areas that maybe a little. Might be better deer areas as far as you know. It could be like a, it could be like a place like Iowa or something where things are a little bit different, and it's you know they're going out and hunting, you know, perfectly manicured ranches and places, and they're just kind of showing up and sitting on a bean field and you know waiting till that last light, the 180 inch buck comes out, and you know where the, where did that buck come from? The guy doesn't know where you know what that buck's been doing. He doesn't know, but Whereas you talk to someone like you and you can tell me, you know, you can tell me where he came from, what he's doing, you know, what, you know, that, that kind of stuff. That that's what I, so I think it's, I, I like that excess radio. They are good and they do have a superior product in my opinion. All right. Second question, wild game dish recipe. What, what's kind of your favorite you go to something you just want really? your favorite wild really? game. Nothing fancy. If I'm going to eat, if I'm picking anything, it's fried turkey. And we don't we don't waste turkey on anything else. If you're gonna cube turkey, you only get four breasts a year, two birds, it's gonna be fried. And so I usually keep one breast, it's four meals a year, nothing more than salt, pepper, buttermilk. We're gonna fry it. And that is without a doubt. Salt, the, pepper, buttermilk. And that's it, you know. Yeah. Bread it, throw it in skillet. The end. You know, what I mean, there's without a doubt, nothing, nothing crazy. That yeah. is the uh if I'm picking and that's my you know, if I'm gonna, if it's gonna be Sunday night, it's gonna be my birthday or something special, or that's what we're having. Father's Day. Yep, that's what we'll be having. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to beat that. All right, last question. Uh, what do you, what's something you think, whether it's obvious or com or whether it's common knowledge or or it's not a concert, a real conservation issue in the southeast? Maybe somewhere, you know, something around you or wherever that you think people should really be should really be on their radar because you know a lot of people use the word conservation and i think a lot of people use it just because it's like almost like a buzzword in itself but i don't know if some sometimes i feel like people don't really know what they're really doing if they're doing anything for conservation but it's you know they they're like well about a hunting license that's conservation it's like well you know there's some things that come from it but just buying a hunting license isn't really you know but what what's something that you feel like is uh should be on someone's radar well the hot the hot topic item and what's on my mind just because of the of the nesting is the turkeys yeah um, you know obviously everybody knows about the decline and they're not doing well and there's a variety of reasons and I, I truly believe it's not one thing it's a culmination of diseases um predators um you know we've had some poor nesting conditions yeah that uh, hatch uh, two years ago i saw more dead gum jakes this year than i've seen in a long time but we've had a a lot of uh we had a good hatch there but anyways that being on my mind you know i've got 10 acres i'm not in an extremely rural setting but you know i'm 
I've got a subdivision across the street, but I've got 10 acres over here and I've got 50 acres over there behind me and big horse farm at, you know, 30 and 20 or whatever, you know, so it's not terrible. All my 10 acres and with minimal amount of effort, we have trapped 30 coons and possums. Nice. And with, with, with minimal effort and two traps. And, and that's, that's you know, nice. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. The, the thing about it is, I mean, if you're not going to put your dollars in conservation because you don't have it or you don't want to, that's, that's fine. You know, there's nothing, you know, giving it to the, to the right people is one thing. Um, but if you're going to go out there and do something for conservation, and, and this is even opened my own eyes as to just how many dad gum out the critter, you know, of those nest predators there are, I would never have, you know, I knew there was a lot sure. And, and I wouldn't go out of my way to, uh, shoot one of those or run over one of those in years past i'm telling you what there it has blown my mind just i mean every morning trapping season i go out yeah. there full do it again every night without i mean and i'm not even moving the traps it's not even it's not rocket science you know it's just mm-hmm. it just blows my mind so get out there put in some effort after the season whether it's in your yard or on the farm or anywhere i think that that um you know, if that's just what we're, that's those creatures, just like deer, are so adaptive that you know that's why the amount of species as a whole, uh, if you look at the, the the amount of species that were here versus what's now versus how many have gone extinct or threatened or injured, endangered, you know, it's really going down because the ones that are adapting or surviving and the ones that aren't aren't. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. help them if it's something that's important to you and they're not adapting. Deer, coons. Uh, crows uh you know all that they they're they're adapting you know i mean they're we're not getting rid of them they're not going anywhere but the yeah. other people that need some help if you care for them you better get out there yeah you, you you're absolutely right uh, and, I, and i agree I, I think with turkeys it's death by a thousand cuts and that's what I, that's what pretty much all the biologists are saying I, and, and, the, and the people they're getting hung up on one thing and for instance fanning or reaping has been the hot topic and people that like to do it or for it or getting caught up in that, you know, it's, that's not the cause. And it's like, well, it's probably one it's, 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 it's a cause. And it's probably one, but it's not the only cause, but it's one. And it's one that we can control. Cause you can't, you know, you can't force people, you know, some people don't want to, to ban fan and reaping, you know, once well, everyone should be trapping. It's like, well, you can't make people trap. You know, you can't, you know, make it, you know, that someone has to trap X amount of coons before they can get a turkey tag. But, you know, lowering or decreasing the bag limits turkeys, we can do. We can shorten the season. We can push the season back after they've already bred for a little bit. So, yeah, there's there's different things. But, you know, I was was talking, I I, I think maybe my second or third podcast with, with Dr. Mike Chamberlain, the Wild Turkey Doc. And he was, what he was saying is like some hens, what they found, some hens just aren't, and I know does are the same way. There's some certain does that just aren't really good breeders or they're not good at raising deer, but there's some hens he was saying that just aren't dominant and they just aren't good at picking nest sites. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. The, the turkeys need our help as far as, you know, and yeah, you know, and, and you're right. And until you get out and start trapping, you probably don't realize what you have. So you try to try to bait them in and trapping. You might not realize because you're only seeing a certain, a certain portion. But yeah, I mean, just thinking about what what's all on the ground right now that could be killing 
pulse or before they hatch eggs is just, I mean, we are, we are overrun with armadillos. Do y'all have those in Kentucky? They're, you see them. They're just not real common. I mean, we, we see them run over, but you don't see them every day. We see more armadillos than we do anything else. We still still see a lot of possum raccoons, but definitely a lot of armadillos. So, all right. Well, I know you got to go. I got to go too. Can you tell us where people can, can find you? Sure. Um, Reese Johnson seven on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You know, my, I've got a real estate page for, for what I do. You can find me there. Um, you know, regular Facebook, not, not too many Reese Johnson's out there spelled like the candy bar. So, um, if you got any questions or anything I can help you with, uh, land wise, you know, like I said, I mean, selling hunting farms in, in Kentucky is, is what I do. Um, and I, I do very much enjoy it. And so, um, if that's something I can help you there, any questions, whatnot, just uh, shoot me a message on, on any given one of those. Yeah. I would suggest that everyone follow Reese on social media. Um, whether you're looking, you're interested in real estate farms or, or, or even just hunting. I mean, he's a very, very intense hunter and good hunter, but you know, it's, it's with Reese, I don't know how many years I've been following you, but what I can say is, you know, you're the real deal and you get out there and, you're busting your ass, but you also have the results. And, you know, you might, you know, spend a season pursuing one buck, but you're, but you're, but you're tailing them and you may get them, may not, but you know, you're, you're that good to where, you know, you're actually going after someone. It's good follow. So um, I appreciate you coming on. Maybe we can get you back on throughout the season. Kind of talk Anytime. about what you, what you, you can, um, you can share the Onyx coordinates of these uh, bucks. How about that? Send a check in the mail and we'll talk about it. Maybe we could do a, a, a subscription level of this podcast. Certain <laughs> subscription levels, you get Reese Johnson's coordinates. We'll put them up for auction one day, maybe. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. So, well, Reese, I, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, we're looking forward to what you're going to do this, this upcoming. Um, this upcoming deer season. And I know you stay very busy working real estate, um, been following your stuff. So thanks again. And I appreciate everybody listening to this week. All right. With that, uh, thanks Reese. And I will, uh, talk to everyone next week. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening. Southeast whitetail. That was a lot of fun. Uh, lastly, I want to challenge, issue a challenge to everyone out there to do something for conservation this year, something more than just joining a nonprofit wildlife org. Yes, we need to keep those going. They need our support, especially now more than ever coming out of the pandemic when they couldn't hold a lot of fundraising events. Let's do something in person, boots on the ground, get your hands dirty, conservation work. Take a young kid hunting, your niece, your nephew, someone from work, uh, someone from your CrossFit, because you just can't you just can't stop talking about CrossFit or Orange Theory or whatever else that you know is is the new trend uh, this year. Regardless, take someone hunting, do something for conservation. The bobwhite quail, the eastern wild turkey are on the ropes. They are not on the uh, incline; they're on the decline. Things aren't great. Do something for them, big or small, whether you own uh, private land or hunt public land, have access or, or um, you know, at least do something for conservation, big or small. 
It all adds up and leave this land better for the next generation. Thanks.